one of the uh, books of the New Testament, and we're starting, uh, and finishing for that matter, on page 1014 of the Church Bible. So if you uh, can grab one nearby, it'll help you kind of fell, uh, you know, know what's going on by reading it as we read it along. Now, I'm not making it up, because that's important. That It's God's Word that counts, not just uh, our opinions and what we think. So we're... We're traveling in Mark's gospel, uh, and uh, it's all about how Jesus is with his disciples uh, on the road. They've been discovering all kinds of things. The first half, they came to the conclusion that he was the king that God had promised. God had promised to send uh, his king, his Messiah, to the Jewish people for the whole world, and that's what's happened. And Jesus, as he came, the very first thing he said when he opened his mouth was, uh, the kingdom of God is at hand, the kingdom of God has come. Repent and believe the good news. That was the very first words of Jesus in Mark's gospel. And his disciples had come to realize that, yes, indeed, he is that king that God has promised. Now they're traveling with him, learning what it means to be with this king. What is that going to look like? And they've been learning, and we've been learning too. And in chapter 9 of Mark, we uh, see that he's very much in home territory. He's been in the region of Galilee, which is where uh, Jesus uh, uh, spent a lot of his ministry, focused around the town of Capernaum. Uh, And at that time, you've been noticing, we've been seeing that he's been speaking to his disciples. He wants them to to kind of a bit more privately get to know what it means for him to be king uh, and what God's purposes are in that. And and we've been seeing how that involved him going to the cross uh, and rising again from the dead. And they've been trying to grasp it. They haven't quite got it yet, but they're still on the road. But it's been very much Jesus and the disciples. Now, as we come into Mark chapter 10... Um, we read that actually he's moving uh, to another part of the country. He's journeying south. Galilee and Capernaum are in the north of Israel. Uh, Jerusalem is down in the south. And Jesus is making his way kind of gradually on this journey, which will end up with his death in Jerusalem. He takes his time about it. In Luke's gospel, it takes chapters and chapters. And, and this journey is very important. Uh, here in Mark, it begins in, uh, uh, earlier, well, here in, in chapter 10. And he's going south. The crowds are back, and so are the critics. You know, the first part of the, the gospel, lots of people followed him. They yeah, had questions with him. He did a lot of things. There were crowds and crowds everywhere. During the period we've been in, the crowds haven't been such a big deal because he's been with the disciples trying to help them understand for themselves. But now the crowds are back, and the critics are back as well as we read. So let's start off as we read Mark chapter 10. Uh, and we can see uh, where we are. So Jesus then left that place, that is in Galilee, and went into the region of Judea and across the Jordan. Again, crowds of people came to him, and as was his custom, he taught them. Some Pharisees, here's the critics. We've met the crowd, now here come the critics. Some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? What did Moses command you, he replied. And they said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. 
For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they, the two will become one flesh. See, that's in inverted commas. Jesus is quoting directly the book of Genesis there. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. And when they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. He answered, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. We'll move on in a minute, but let's start there. Let's pause there for a moment. So they're coming south, they're into the Judea area, but they're on the other side of the Jordan, the eastern side, the other side to where Jerusalem and uh, Jericho and all the other big cities were. So there's an element in which Jesus is still keeping a low profile, but they meet some Pharisees. And Pharisees were really keen religious Jewish types. They were very zealous. They were very excited about the fact that the Messiah was coming. And their big deal was they wanted everybody to be ready for him. And they thought the best way for them to be ready for the Messiah to come was to be as religious and uh, obedient to the law as you could possibly be. Uh, and and they, they, had, they had good hearts, really. They just wanted to do the right thing. Uh, they wanted everyone else to do the right thing, and they were rather heavy-handed about the way they encouraged everyone else. But that's who they are. But they didn't like Jesus. In fact, they have, it already says in Mark's Gospel, they and other of these religious, powerful groups had started to plan to get rid of him. So that's who, the, that's who comes. And they ask him a question to test him. And what's the question they ask? Well, it's there, isn't it? Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Now, it's a hot topic. It's a hot topic in lots of kind of contexts, but it was a hot topic then for two reasons. Number one, there was a big debate going on between different types of religious leaders, and and you can look into this. So, uh, because it does say in Deuteronomy that it's pos- it's permissible to uh, for a man to divorce his wife if there's a if there's a reason for it, a good reason for it. And one half of the debate said a good reason for it. Well, that could be anything. And you know, she, you know, if she didn't if you didn't like your wife's cooking, you could say I divorce you, and they and they, and they said that was perfectly admissible. On the other side of the argument were some uh, other religious people who said, no, 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 it specifically means uh, an area, of, a, a very strong area of, of moral kind of failure, betrayal or adultery or something, uh, a serious breakdown. So that was a bit of a debate, but it was much more controversial for another reason. They are in this area, east of the Jordan in Judea, they are in the area run by Herod Antipas. Do you remember John the Baptist? Do you remember what happened to John the Baptist? A few chapters earlier in Mark, he was beheaded. He had been arrested by Herod. He'd been put in Herod's jail. On Herod's birthday, uh, he got his... uh, his wife's daughter to dance, and she did such a fantastic dance. She got four tens and more, as it were. Uh, and as a prize, he said, you can have whatever you want, even half the kingdom. And she consulted with her mother, who really didn't like John the Baptist at all. And she said, you've got John the Baptist in jail. I want his head on a plate. Gruesome. That's what happened 
And that's how, as Jesus says, the greatest of the prophets died. Why? Why didn't they like John the Baptist? Well, Mark tells us earlier, it's because John, John the Baptist, in his preaching, made it clear that Herod Antipas had done the wrong thing by seducing and having an affair with his brother Philip's wife, divorcing his wife, and then marrying Herodias, who had been his brother's wife. So, Pharisees, so Jesus, here we are in Herod's territory. What do you think? Is it right for someone to divorce their wife? That's why they were testing him. What was he going to do? What, <coughs> what does Jesus do? When he asked them a question, that's not a bad idea, is it? Someone asks you a difficult question, ask a question back. What did Moses teach? And they answer rightly, and they answer with the law. And it's interesting that already they, their language softens. They had said, is it lawful? Jesus says, what does Moses say? And they say, well, Moses says he permitted it. In the law, it said that a, a, a man could divorce his wife, but he had to give a certificate. He had to give written proof. There were regulations about it. In fact, I was, uh, somebody I was reading uh, yesterday said that the, the certificate, by the time Jesus was speaking, had to be written with indelible ink on a, a fabric that couldn't be kind of destroyed. Why? So that the woman who had been divorced had some security, something that was kind of permanent. She couldn't just be cast on one side. Because, of course, a woman without a husband... A widow or an abandoned woman, they were very vulnerable in that society at that time, as indeed they are in many other countries. So that's a bit of background. Now, in Jesus' answer to the question, he does two things to start with. And we see, I think, his compassion running through this. The first thing he does is this. He acknowledges human weakness. Do you see that? Jesus goes straight to what the, the reason why the, the divorce is permitted. Jesus says it was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote this. There it is in verse 5. See, we're flawed. We mess up. Things go wrong. Things don't kind of work out the way we think they might. Our hearts can be hard. It can be our fault or another person's fault. But... Things happen. And I think it's fascinating that Jesus kind of, and we'll see a bit more of this later, starts at that point and says, look, things can be difficult. Things can be messy. He acknowledges that. Straight acknowledgement. Doesn't blame anyone for it or condemn anyone for it. That's just how it is. But secondly, he doesn't stop there. He points to something that is better than that he points to God's intention as a good creator because goodness runs through God's creation Remember, in the story of Genesis in the story of creation then every day of every phase of creation God says it's good it's good it's good God is a good creator and Jesus points to God's work in creation and God's word in creation and he quotes the book of Genesis. And there it is there. It's in quotation marks. 
And he makes it clear from Genesis that he believes that what God says is true, that people are made male and female, and that marriage is about the coming together of male and female people to be joined together by God. That's what Jesus says. It's God who's designed it that way, and God who's made it that way, and God is somehow involved in that whole process, says Jesus. Jesus says that's what God designed, that's what God does, that's what God wants. So Jesus says, so if that's true, if that's God's perfect kind of design, yeah, people do mess up, but listen, we should not be breaking up what God brings together. And you know what? Whenever Jesus talks about marriage, and the New Testament quotes him, and whenever the New Testament talks about marriage... It goes back to these verses in Genesis. If you look up in Matthew 19, what Jesus says actually is even stronger. In saying that what the book of Genesis says is what the creator says, what God says. Man and woman, two separate people come together and become one in marriage. As Jesus defines it. Our society might define it one way, that's up to our society. Other people may define it one way, that's up to them. I'm saying that Jesus defines it this way. Two separate people come together and become one. And sex is a kind of symbol of that coming together and becoming one. That's what Jesus says. There it is, here in black and white. So it's not, if you've been following the news, it's not actually just what the Church of England says. It's what Jesus says. And you can't get away from whatever your opinion. I don't want to be kind of, you know, it's not, this isn't all we can say about it, by the way. There's more that we can say. You've got to say, well, what do we do with what Jesus says? And if I'm loyal to Jesus, what am I going to do with what he says here? So divorce happens. People are flawed and we can fail, but Jesus holds up God's best. According to Jesus, marriage is meant to be permanent by design. Divorce is not God's best for us as people. Now Jesus says more about it elsewhere, particularly in Matthew 19, and you can check that. And One of the things that Jesus says is that he seems to pick up that when the bond is broken by unfaithfulness, then divorce doesn't break it because it's already been broken. So if you sleep with someone else, if you kind of join yourself to them, there's a sense in which, as the other rabbis taught, in one sense it's broken. In one sense, let me just say. And then divorce is appropriate. Though, of course, things can be fixed, things can be mended. And if a couple want that, then there's, there's grace to find healing. It doesn't have to happen, but it's not inappropriate, if you see what I mean, once that bond is broken. can be healed. So if that's you, don't think, oh no, I failed. The whole gospel says I failed, but I can be forgiven. Relationships can be healed. We can be reconciled. But not if we don't admit that we failed and are flawed and have sinned indeed. 
Now, as I said, the New Testament says a bit more about that. And I, I, in a few weeks' time, next time we do, not next time, because that's next Sunday, but a few weeks' time we'll do uh, an upside-down service. And one of the options will be a bit more of a kind of a seminar about what the Bible says about divorce in a, in a wider context. So there's more to be said. Then verse 10, there's another of those in the house, back at the house conversations with the disciples, isn't there? When they were back in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this, as I said a couple of weeks ago. It must have been great, you know, to have been there in the house when the disciples said to Jesus, what did you, what did you mean by that? You know, we didn't, quite, we didn't quite get that. He adds a bit more, and it's fascinating, really. Jesus says, the person who divorces his wife commits adultery against her. That's, that's the thing. Now, that's a really radical thing for Jesus to say. This was never heard of at the time. You see, the woman didn't have any rights at that time. Jesus says, actually, as far as he's concerned, the woman does in his way of thinking. It matters to him that women are vulnerable and can be abused by their husbands in this way. Now, at the time, in the thinking, a woman could not commit adultery. Sorry, at the time, I must get my notes right. In the thinking of the time, a woman woman could commit adultery against her husband, okay? She could do that by being unfaithful to him, by having sex with someone else. That's what happens in John 8. You know, in John 8, they find the woman committing adultery and they bring her to Jesus. So at the time, a woman could commit adultery against her husband by a sexual relationship with someone else. Uh, Or at the time, a man could commit adultery against another man by having sex with another man's wife. So the man committed adultery against the other man whose wife he was sleeping with, just as uh, the woman committed adultery against her husband by sleeping with another man. But what would never happen is that a man could never commit adultery against a woman. Because women had no rights at the time. In fact, a woman couldn't get married. A woman could only be given in marriage. But Jesus is saying that someone who does that is committing adultery against the wife. It's just interesting, isn't it? I wonder why he said that. He's pointing to something else. It's one of those little time bombs that that you see in the Bible. It's not probably going to go off for several hundred years. But it's there in the teaching of Jesus. There's this radical, compassionate view. And it carries on, actually. It gets even more of a kind of time bomb, if you see. Jesus also says here that a woman can divorce her husband. He says if the woman divorces her husband, she commits adultery. Now, again, whatever that we, however we apply that and whatever that means, at the heart of it is this. Do you know when Jesus said that, it was impossible for a woman to divorce her husband couldn't happen she could go to court if she could go to the rabbis and do something but it it wasn't like a divorce it was something else and Jesus kind of saying that in his eyes the woman had as much right to divorce the husband as the wife had to divorce her husband you see what I mean but he's still saying that's all in the context that we're broken and flawed but God has something better see it's interesting, isn't it? I think it's interesting. So Jesus says God's best is there for a purpose. 
And God's best is marriage and sex as part of marriage. It's part of his creation. For those who get married, it's a great blessing from God. Though it's not the be-all and end-all of everything, and that's the mistake our culture has made. It's the mistake the church makes. We make it look as if if you're not married, if you're not having loads of sex, or if you're not married, you're some kind of failed and useless and inadequate and incomplete human being. And people, and our whole culture worships sex, and you know every, everything is kind of tied down to it. You worship what you think of most. I grew up in the 60s and 70s, and even then people said men, t- men think about sex every 30 seconds. You think about what you worship. It kind of comes in to us. So, let's hear what Jesus says. It's, it's not the be-all and end-all and everything. Elsewhere, Jesus says in the parallel passage, in, 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 in kind of language that is strange in Matthew 19, I must say, but whatever, however you understand the language he uses of eunuchs and the kingdom of God, that's why it's a bit different in the way we kind of understand it. The one thing he is saying is that it's okay. Marriage isn't for everyone. A completely, fully fulfilled, in, as we say it, a life that includes loads of sex and, and happy marriage is not the be-all and end-all of everything. You can, you know, it's not for everyone. Jesus says that. And of course, if you want proof of that, did Jesus live a fulfilled life? Did he live in the joy of knowing God his Father? Was he some kind of incomplete, imperfect human being? Don't think so. Did he have sex? Was he married? No. So let's stop thinking it's got to be the be-all and end-all and maybe think of how God's best might operate in other ways in our lives. Let's move on. Because Jesus shows then that compassion is seen in his world also for those also for those without rights and power. Read verse 13 with me. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. And when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. That's a really strong word by the way, indignant in the original Greek. He said to them, "Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these." Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never inherit it, never enter it, rather. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. So you can see what's happening. Parents are wanting Jesus to, to bless their children, to pray for them. And that was a, a not uncommon thing at the time. Uh, holy men or rabbis, if, the, if they were revered, it would be quite, un, uh, it would be quite kind of normal for, for people close to them you know, to want them to pray for their children. Maybe to have a kind of dedication, you know, informal pop-up dedication perhaps, if you see what I mean. And lots of people wanted to do this, not just Jesus' friends and kind of family, but everybody. And parents are bringing their children and the disciples... Are kind of triaging this, you know, they're kind of saying, oh, you could, well, yeah, or they're trying to restrict, they're trying to protect Jesus. Basically, they're telling these people to go away, you know, do you th- why do you think uh, Jesus, he's our, our rabbi, he's the king, well, he doesn't want your children around him, you know, he's got stuff to do, you know, take them away. And Jesus uh, uh, kind of hears this going on and he gets mad about this, he gets really angry, really cross. Um, that's a, that's the way. It's a strong word. 
Uh, Mark, by the way, never downplays Jesus' emotional life. It's uh, quite interesting. He, he's quite upfront about that. Now, children were the least significant in that society. And the parent child, we think in our day of, and in, in our current situation, of the parent child bond, that's the greatest thing, and et cetera, et cetera. But that's not always true, even here. And it's not always been so in every culture. It isn't all that uh, always so. And it wasn't then. Children were a bit irritating, you know. They were to be kind of kept away. No child-centered kind of education for them kind of thing. Uh, that was their kind of context. And what happens Well, Jesus says, no, this is wrong. Why? Well, you see, Jesus sees it through the lens of the kingdom of God. Okay, I look through my glasses. I can see you because the lens helps me to see you there and my thing here. And Jesus, as he looks into this situation, it's like the lenses of the kingdom of God. He sees it through the kingdom of God. He says something here about the kingdom of God. What's the kingdom of God? Well, it's where Jesus is king. It's Jesus as the king. God doing what he promised, changing everything. It was right there when Jesus came. As I said at the beginning, when Jesus arrived, he said the kingdom of God is here. And as he goes to demonstrate that he's the king, the kingdom of God is around where he reigns and rules And as he heals people and delivers people from from demons and raises people from the dead and teaches people about God's word, it's the kingdom of God. Jesus is demonstrating God's rule and reign is coming and touching people's lives. And that's the kingdom of God. It was right there with Jesus then, and it's by the Holy Spirit, it's right now as Jesus shapes our lives, our relationships and communities. We are in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is, is among us. We are part of it. The kingdom of God, the place where Jesus is king. And Jesus says that kingdom belongs to little people. It belongs to unimportant people. It belongs to outsiders. It belongs to the poor. It belongs to the lost. These are the people that matter to God. Actually, the whole Bible says so. Different places. And Jesus gets the disciples to see that what they're doing in stopping these children from coming is they're kind of hiding the kingdom of God. They're kind of pretending it's something that it isn't. And Jesus is saying, this is what the kingdom of God is. It means that these children are welcome because the kingdom of God, he says, belongs to them, to people like that. Now, I wonder whether we as disciples can also end up hiding the kingdom of God from people. Because we reject the outsider, we reject the child. You know, we, we get huffy about it. We think that some people are just not worth our time. I wonder. But also Jesus says, not only does the kingdom of God belong to, to the, those who are the, on the outside, the broken like the children, but in verse 15 he says that the way into the kingdom of God is the child's way. Verse 15. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Two words here, receiving and entering. See those words? Receiving the kingdom, it's a gift. As Jesus' life and kingdom and and ruling comes into our life. Now how do children, how do children receive gifts? Well, they're not reserved about it, are they? You know, especially when they're young. Whoa. 
They don't say, oh, I can't, I can't possibly take this gift. <laughs> Ever heard a child say that? Or could they say, um, oh, you know, I can't think. Let me help you out. Let me, let me pay. Let, let me, you know, give you something towards that gift. No, they take it. They receive it. How do we come into the kingdom of God? Well, like children. Children come in dependence. In dependence. They depend upon us. And we depend upon Christ. We come empty. We have nothing to give. And Jesus welcomes us that way. And you know what? There's no other way into the kingdom of God. Simply no other way than the child's way. Have you come that way? Or are you still thinking, actually, I'd like to make a contribution? Now, as we finish, we've seen Jesus. He's been reacting to traps. He's been teaching about relationships. He's been sitting with confused disciples, welcoming the weakest and most insignificant. And as we've seen that, I think we've seen his compassion and his authority come through it all. We've seen it in him. And I don't think it's just instinct, if you like, on his part, because he shows us where it comes from, what's behind it. And I think as we follow Jesus, as we live with this king, we can learn to see life, to see relationships, to see challenges Jesus' way. And I think we need this, because we're living in a really confused world at quite a confused time. How do we know how to react? Well, what shapes Jesus' compassion? What shapes his teaching? And could this shape our reactions? These are my take-homes for today. Just three. Very briefly, I'll be done in about two minutes. Number one, Jesus is always aware and honest about human flaws. Okay? So however we kind of approach, whatever we're approaching, let's be as honest as he is whether it's for ourselves or other people. Our hearts are hard, and that's not to be condemning, but that's true. We fail, we sin, we mess up. We live in a world that's messed up, and that messing up just reflects a huge, big kind of cosmic battle going on behind it all, but there's no time for that now. (laughs) And Jesus said he did not come to condemn us for that. Jesus is aware of our brokenness, our failure, our sinfulness, our messed upness, our our flaws, our failed world. And he says, I did not come to condemn the world, but to save it. So Jesus is open and honest about all the flaws and mess in my life, your life, and and everything. And says, I have not come to condemn you for that, but I have come to rescue you from it. That's the first thing. Can we see things Jesus' way in that respect? That's the first thing. Can we have that? The second thing, he doesn't leave it there like he didn't with divorce. Because the second thing he always does is brings God's truth into our thinking, as we saw in marriage and divorce. He said, look, this is God's word. He goes back to God's purposes for us at creation. He brings God's perspective on the rights of the vulnerable, like women and children. See, he approaches everything in the light of God's word. He fulfilled God's word. Actually, he is God's word. That's where his mission and compassion comes from. So the second thing is, we must, like Jesus, never lose the word, the truth. 
what God has said. So that needs to be a lens as well that we look through as we face all kinds of issues. That there are human flaws and that there's a, a God's truth, he's spoken truth. And the third thing, as Jesus approaching, as approaches everything, he comes as the king of this new kind of kingdom. A new way of living with God. You see, that's how flawed people can become at home with a truth, uh, truthful, holy creator who wants the best for us. Jesus' kingdom, what he did in coming, uh, it was to bring us into relationship with this God. And he wants us to live his way. It's not the world's way. It's a different way. And it's never seen more clearly than on the cross. Do you remember when Jesus died on the cross? Remember that thief said to him, Lord, uh, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? Remember that? What was Jesus' reply? Today, you'll be with me in paradise. So, has Jesus come into his kingdom? (laughs) On the cross, Jesus says, I'm about to come into it and I'll see you today because you'll be with me. The kingdom, he sees it that way. The king on the cross, the king of Easter morning, is the king that we live with. So these three shapers, the world is flawed, we are broken. Let's be honest about it and open with it, and let's realize that as we try and muddle our way through all these issues. Let's also realize that God has said something, that his word is reliable, and if we don't have that, then we're just drifting away with popular opinion and so on and so forth. And thirdly, Jesus' kingdom. There's a new way of living with Jesus at the center of our lives and relationships and behavior. So let's live this week as flawed people with other flawed people. Let's point to a creator who wants it to be different for us and different to that for them. And let's share the news that the king has come to change us and lead us into a life and a way of life. A way to live that's totally different. Peter.